0: Our reading this morning comes from Ephesians 5, 21, and chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. "'Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, "'knowing that whatever good anyone does, "'this he will receive back from the Lord, "'whether he is a bondservant or is free. "'Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, "'knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, "'and that there is no partiality with him.'"
1: Let's pray together. God of mercy, God of grace, we return these gifts and tithes to you, you who gave them to us, asking that you would use them in order that the gospel would be proclaimed here and throughout the world in word and in deed. God, you are a giving God, and you have also given us your word. We pray that you would help us to believe, even at this moment, that none of us are here by accident, but by your appointment to sit beneath your word and to hear your voice. Father, you know that we gather together from different places in life, that some of us are sorrowful and others joyful, some hurting and others comfortable, some despairing and others triumphant, some doubting and others confident, some anxious and others calm and some who appear to be very, very good and others who appear to be very, very bad. However, we come this morning, we pray that you would help us to know that we really are all the same, that we are all far more sinful, that we are all far more broken than we know, And so we pray that you would remind us today as we sit beneath your word that you have moved towards us in our brokenness. You have moved towards us in Jesus so that in him we might be both far more broken than we can imagine. And at the same time, far more secure, far more loved, and far more accepted than we ever dared dream possible. So in your mercy, we ask that you would show us Jesus today, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. And at this time, I invite the children ages three to six to be dismissed to Children's Church. You can make your way to the back of the sanctuary now. Uh, last week, <clears throat> when we were together last week, we jumped back into the book of Ephesians, and we took a big chunk in chapter 5, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And now, what we're going to do is we're actually going to skip over the end of chapter 5 and what Paul says about marriage. And we're going to look at this passage that we read earlier from chapter 6. And in a few weeks, we're going to come back to what Paul says about marriage. And we're going we're to actually spend several weeks together unpacking those verses Together, So this morning, what I want us to do with these, the verses that we have is I want us to consider the transformation that the gospel brings to our relationships. The transformation that the gospel brings, and we're going to look particularly at the transformation that the gospel brings to our families and to the workplace. You know, Jesus once said, um, he said, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. And Jesus said, if he does, the wine will burst the skins, right? And he says, and both wine and the wineskins will be destroyed or ruined. And so Jesus says, no, he pours new wine into new wineskins, right? The fermentation process, right? Um, New wine needs to be put into new wineskins so that during the fermentation process, the, the skins can expand with the wine as it is fermented, right? Now, obviously, Jesus didn't bring that up as a matter of scientific interest for us, right? Um, It was a metaphor. And I can't go into it in great detail, but Jesus was saying with that metaphor, among other things, he was saying, I am a revolutionary, right? He was saying, if you try to contain me in the old ceremonies... In the old religious system, right? In the old traditions, if you try to contain me in those old forms, he's saying, I will burst right through them and destroy them. So so think about it. What do revolutionaries want to do, right? They do not want to tweak policies, right? They want to overthrow the old system, right? They want to capsize the old governing authorities, They want to turn it upside down and they want to change everything. A revolution, right? Now, stay with me just a second longer and think about this. If that's true, right? And and Jesus really did come to capsize and turn the old order upside down and change everything. If that's true, then you and I should expect that the gospel would have something to say about everything every single area of our lives, right? Jesus, the revolutionary king, he came to bring transformation to every area of your life and mine. He came to transform your marriage, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks. And he came to transform the relationships in your family and your relationship to and in the workplace, right? And many other areas that are addressed in other places, right? But we're going to look at this passage and see how the gospel really gets in our business, right? And meddles with, and how we're told here that the gospel can bring transformation to our families and to our work. And so here are my three points that I have for us this morning. Transformed relationships, transformed families, and transformed work. So first, transformed relationships. As one scholar puts it, chapter 5 Verse 21 is a hinge verse, right? It's a hinge verse, he says, to the entire following section. See, it's, it's a literary bridge from one, one passage to another. See, here's what's going on here. And we saw some of this last week if you were here. The Apostle Paul was saying in the verses that came before this in chapter 5 that we need to be, we need to be filled with the Spirit. You remember, don't get drunk on wine, he says, but be filled with With the Spirit, right? And so the Spirit, we we saw this last week, the Spirit brings us a new and deeper joy, right? And He does this because the Spirit doesn't come, right, to deaden our senses. He doesn't come to numb the pain or block the pain. The Spirit comes and wakes us up to the beauty and wonder of Jesus and what He has done. And Paul is saying, when that comes home in your heart by the work of the Spirit, it fills you with joy, no matter what's going on in your life. But listen to me, all of that was contained in one long sentence that actually ended in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's, here's what it is. Paul is saying... That when you really see the beauty and wonder of Jesus, when Jesus becomes real to you, not just intellectually, but existentially, experientially, right? And you realize that this Jesus, he, he sees you as you are and he loves you fully, right? It, he, he sees you as you are, not what you pretend to be. And He loved you fully in your brokenness. And He came to live the life you could not live and die the death you should have died. At the cost of His own blood, He brought you all the way into His family, right? You will never, ever be an orphan again without a family. When that becomes real in your experience, Paul is saying you will be filled with joy and you will be free To submit to one another. Out of reverence for Jesus. You will find a deeper joy. And when you are filled with the spirit. All your relationships. Will begin to be transformed. See the gospel. When it becomes real to you. It affects. It cannot help. But affect every relationship in your life. I am not. I am not a beach person. For one reason. The sand. I hate the sand. Um. I know that the beach is beautiful. It's part of God's creation. I I get all that. But the sand that gets everywhere. You know, when you go to the beach, it's in your hair, it's in your clothes. It somehow finds its way into every nook and cranny, right? It gets in your shoes. It gets in your bed. You know, the sunscreen, it gets gritty with sand. It's just disgusting. I'm not a fan of that at all. And Paul is saying, he's saying that you ought to expect That the gospel will get into and transform everything in your life. Every relationship in your life. It will get into and work its way into every nook and cranny. Jesus did not come to live and die for you to tweak policies. He is a revolutionary. And he came to change everything to leave nothing in your life and mine untouched by his grace. Look. We try, all of us do this. We try to neatly compartmentalize our lives, right? And so we seal off work relationships from family relationships and public life from private life and church relationships from neighborhood relationships and so on and so on. And Paul is saying the gospel, it goes after all of your compartments. Like sand, it finds a way in to bring transformation everywhere. How so? Because... The gospel is not simply about changed behavior and changed practice. The gospel comes to thoroughly change and transform character and motives. God wants to change you from the inside out in all of your relationships. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, um, and I was thinking about how we hate it. I mean, we hate it when other people treat us superficially, right? Right. We hate it like it's like it's a nobody. I, I, I mean, we resist it. With everything in us. You, you know, when someone says, yeah, I know what you're like. Oh, we can't stand that. Right. Don't lump me in to some superficial, you know, stereotypical category. How dare you do that? You know, if you're from Louisiana, like I am, you get this all the time. Um, you crazy Cajuns. Um. You know, or, or what about, maybe bring it home a little bit more. What about when your spouse reacts to something you've done, right? And he or she paints a caricature of you off of that action, right? Without listening to the complexities of your motivation, only dealing with you externally and unwilling to engage your heart. That infuriates us when people treat us like that. Listen, the wonderful grace of the gospel is good news. It is the best news, right? But at the same time, grace is not safe. And it is not tame. Right? It works its way like sand down into every nook and cranny of your life to change you from the inside out. Over and over again, the Bible is assuring you that grace will never, ever deal with you superficially. And you know why, don't you? (laughs) it's because God is after the real you. He is after your heart and mine. He wants the real you and me. He wants a deep, intimate, thorough relationship with us. And that is both wonderful and, if we are honest, a little terrifying, right? The grace that sets us free, it also demands that all of our relationships be transformed. So here we go. We're going to look at Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, second, to see the demand the gospel places on the family. How the gospel comes to transform our families. And I want to start with what Paul says to parents or to fathers. And I'm going to come back in a few moments uh, to tell you why I think he were, uses the word fathers here. But please recognize, we can't go into any great detail here, but you need to recognize how transformative this really is. In this culture, children were regarded as property, right? They had far less rights than even the slaves that are mentioned in the next section um, that we're going to talk about when we get there. Fathers treated their children however they wanted to treat their children. Right? Fathers could kill their children if they wanted to. They could inflict the death penalty upon their children. The Roman world was not kind to children. And so Paul is saying, look how the gospel comes in and transforms the family. And negatively... He says to the fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And you know, there are two main ways, I think, that you can provoke your children to anger. By, by either over-disciplining them or under-disciplining them. Right? By over-discipline, right? By demanding things beyond their capacity and being unreasonable with them. right? By being, you know, some kind of fault-finding police with them, right? Condemning and belittling them. Abuse, physical, sexual, verbal, emotional, right? Shaming, guilt, manipulation. But also by underdiscipline, you can provoke them to anger. By neglecting deep involvement with them. Right? By spoiling them. And failing to correct children, right? And, and perp- failing to prepare them for a world that doesn't revolve around them by never contradicting them, by abdicating your responsibility in their lives. Yes, Paul says here, Fathers, bring your children up. That job is not to be handed over to the nanny, it is not to be ha- handed over to the education system, it is not even to be handed over to the church. Paul says, It is your responsibility. These children that he has, God has placed under your care. See, here's what, here's what I want to say to you. The gospel, when it comes into the family, it should bring and create balance in your parenting. Paul says that we are to nurture, that we are to raise our children up, bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Your children, Paul is saying, need firmness and love. Your children need boundaries and gentleness. They need discipline and encouragement. Gospel freedom demands balance in your parenting and your care for your children. See, if you fear disapproval from your children, you will tend to underdiscipline them every time. But if you are overly critical and controlling with your kids, you will tend to overdiscipline them and you will likewise ruin your children. I wish I could do so much more than what we're able to do with this this morning. But listen, if the gospel, you know, if if in the gospel you already are fully loved and entirely secure in the grace of the gospel, if that's true, you can begin to parent with humble confidence, right? Without needing too much your children's approval and without needing anxiously to control everything in your children's lives. Okay, but Paul doesn't only address... Parents here. I didn't even pick this passage for Father's Day. It just worked out that way. Um, but you know, Paul, he doesn't only address parents, um, that just occurred to me, by the way. He also addresses children, that they are to obey in the Lord and to honor their parents. And the two reasons he gives are that it's right, right? It, it's, it, it, it's an appeal to nature there. And then he mentions honoring your father and mother because it's the first command with a promise, right? He says that it may go well with you. And that you may live a long life. So the natural consequence, he's saying, of learning to honor and to live under authority, learning those things, the natural consequence of that is that life will tend to go better for you. Right? You will be safe, kept safe, physically, emotionally, spiritually. We, we could do a lot more, but let me at least deal with the spiritual benefit here. Paul brings up the commandment to honor your father and mother. Jesus himself, you know, he sums up the law like this. All the commandments, he sums up like this. That you would love God and that you would love your neighbor. And Christians have long said that the first four commandments are really dealing with our love of God, right? To have no other gods, to not worship images, right? To, to not take the Lord's name in vain and to honor the Sabbath, okay? But historically, the Jewish mindset has been that the first five commandments deal with your relationship to God. And wouldn't you know it, the fifth commandment is about honoring your parents, your father and mother. You know, read about the law in Exodus and you will see that the death penalty, the harshest penalty that there was, right? You don't come back from that death. Um, It was reserved For people who did things like worship false gods. And for anyone who cursed or struck their parents. It seems pretty harsh to us, right? But here's the simple reason. God is saying, if you cannot honor your parents, neither can you honor the God who gave you those parents. The gospel should be changing you right? Freeing you to submit and honor authority and not abuse it. And the reason I say it should be changing you is because every one of us in this room has parents, right? And we are all called to honor our parents. And so some of you I know are in your thirties, forties, fifties, and some beyond, right? Um, And you're still holding on to the bitter disappointment you have in your parents and you're still trying to earn your parents' approval in your life, or you're refusing to respect them, the gospel frees you both from needing too much your parents' approval, and at the same time, it frees you to forgive them. The gospel, Paul is saying, is meant to transform the family. You know, I've noticed that whenever we're having people over to our house for a party or dinner or something like that, that Jennifer, my wife, lights all these candles <laughs> in our house, right? Before everybody gets there. And there are these perfumey, sm- sweet-smelling things, you know. And, you know, I noticed that I came home the other we- week, and I walked in the front door, and that sweet smell hit me. I knew the candles were burning, right? And it- it's such a correlation for me, um, those two things, that I immediately asked, who's coming over tonight? Um, I knew somebody had to be coming over to light those candles. The gospel should be making your home fragrant and sweet. That when someone comes into your home, it should be evident that Jesus has been there. That Jesus has been there changing and transforming your family. Parents firmly and kindly loving and disciplining their children, right? Parents so free and so confident in the love of Jesus, that they handle their children firmly and with care. Children honoring and loving and obeying their parents out of freedom and in love for Jesus. Now last, we need to turn and see how the gospel transforms work in verses 5-9. through nine. Okay, give me a few seconds here to recalibrate your thinking about these verses. When we read bond servants or slaves, right, and masters... It is virtually impossible for us not to have some kind of mental picture in our our minds of American slavery. It is a part of our shameful past and baggage. But you need to understand and know that the slavery that Paul is speaking into was very, very different than American slavery, right? It would be far better for us, I'm going to argue, to think of the relationship of employee to employer here. It's estimated that at this time there were something like 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. That's one-third of the entire population of the Roman Empire. This slavery was not based on anything racial, and it wasn't for a lifetime. Slaves were usually released by the time they were 30 years old. In fact, slaves were released so often (laughs) that one of the Caesars had to introduce restrictions to curb the trend. It was happening so often. Being a slave was not a matter of belonging to a different social class, right? That's hard to get our minds around. But a slave had the same social standing in that culture as his master had. You could not distinguish slave from master in appearance in this culture. People often sold themselves into slavery, right, for job security or to get Roman citizenship. Slaves owned property. They even owned other slaves. Their jobs ranged from custodial work to salesmen to basically CEOs of companies. I'm not trying to make the argument that this was a good system, okay? I, and I wish I had more time to deal with this, but it was at least very, very different from the slavery we tend to picture, right? We need to think more along the lines of employee and employer here when it comes to this passage. Now, take a glance at these verses and just think, how about this for transformation? Paul is saying, no matter what your job is, right? You're, you're a, whether you're a stable boy or a CEO, whether you're a grocer or a lawyer, whether you're a farmer or a banker, Paul is saying, you are now working for a new boss. And his name is Jesus, and he is the king of kings. He is the maker and sustainer of everything. He is the beginning And the end, and He is the lover and Redeemer of your soul. Paul is saying you have to start looking through your earthly boss to your real boss, Jesus. See, this means that no matter what you do, your job is not just a job, it is a calling from Jesus. If you're a banker, if you're a lawyer, if you sell insurance, if you're a stay-at-home mom, that is your calling in life. So listen, if you're a banker, how are you caring for that corner of God's world, right? Bringing order to chaos, right? Being just and equitable, stewarding God's gifts and His resources. And if you're a lawyer, you're working for justice in a broken world, upholding order and good laws that keep all of us safe, right? If you're a stay-at-home mom... That is your corner of God's world. That he has called you to work. Called you to work. What, what happens if no one cleans your house? If no one ever cleans your house, someone will die. I was, I, had to, I was a biology major. I had to take microbiology. And it freaked me out. If no one cleans your house, someone is going to die. It, it's true. Your job no matter what it is, has meaning in God's economy, is what Paul is saying. You serve a God, listen to this, you serve a God who is at work right now redeeming all things. And in your corner of the world, you have an opportunity, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a banker, a lawyer, salesman, whatever, you have an opportunity to participate in the renewal And restoration of God's world. And if this is true. That your work is a calling. Then this means everyone. From the grocer to the custodian. To the dry cleaner. Should be treated by you. With dignity and respect. Because God is meeting your needs and mine. He is giving life and bringing order to chaos. Through these people's callings and yours. And the second thing that I want you to see in this point about transformed work is freedom. I mean, notice verse 6. We are to work not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Do you know what work easily becomes for all of us? <laughs> See, if you're a lawyer or a salesman or an artist or a stay-at-home mom or a businessman or woman or a teacher or a pharmacist or whatever you are, our work tends to become an idol in our lives, right? A way for us to measure our worth. And when that happens, we become so overly sensitive to criticism and fearful, right? Fearful of failing and fe- fearful of being disapproved of. Overly needing pats on the back and affirmation for a job well done and approval from co-workers or employers. But Paul is saying, do you realize how the gospel brings transformation? It frees you from being a people pleaser, right? What if your value, what if your worth, what if your significance and your identity didn't come from your work? but instead came from a God who so thoroughly loved you that He sent His Son into this world to die for you. I mean, when that becomes real to you, when that lands in your heart and becomes real in your experience, you will become free from seeking the approval of people. And you can handle criticism without becoming overly defensive. And you can sweat and toil and work without overly needing affirmation and pats on the back. If your identity is in Jesus and not your work. And then very briefly, I love how Paul says in verse 9, Masters, or we could say employers, do the same to them, right? If you have someone that works for you or under you, take this same gospel into your heart and let it transform the way you treat them. What does he say? Stop threatening them right mutual submission and service stop manipulating people right the gospel should be causing you to treat everyone with dignity and respect and with sincerity it should be causing you to treat people as people like they count and they matter look i i've got to wrap this up really quickly so, so Some of you will think in hearing this sermon this morning, you'll think this seems like a different sermon than Nathan normally gives. And, you know, less stories maybe, but that's not really why it's different. Um, The real difference, if you can't put your finger on it, is that I usually spend a lot of time arguing with you. Arguing grace into your disbelieving hearts. And what I'm saying here is that Paul, all that stuff is presupposed by Paul already. This grace and mercy in the gospel, because he spent virtually four chapters exploring the depths and the mystery of the grace of the gospel. Grace that receives you solely on the merit of Jesus and nothing else. So that by the time he gets here in chapter six, right, he is simply opening up to you the implications of that gospel in your life. God's grace, really known and apprehended, he's saying by the help of the Spirit, should be transforming every area, every corner of your life. Now, let let me end like this, okay? Paul, in those opening verses, he used the word fathers when he was talking to parents. See, if you had read through the whole book of Ephesians in one sitting, hopefully that word fathers would already be echoing in your mind by the time you got here. Because nearly every other place, in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, chapter 1, verse 17, chapter 2, verse 18, chapter 3, verse 14, chapter 4, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 20, over and over again, that word has been used to describe a believer's relationship to God. In Jesus, through Jesus, God has become your Father, Paul is saying. He sent His only Son to the cross and on the cross His true Son lost His Father's love so that now you would know that you can never lose this Father's love because Jesus took the curse for you. See, you fall into your loving and gracious Father's arms and Paul is saying it will begin to change you it will begin to transform the way you parent and the way you relate to your earthly parents. And what about work? When Jesus began His public ministry, right? His calling, His work. When He began, heaven was ripped open, we're told. And the Spirit, like a dove, descended upon Him and a voice from heaven was heard. And that voice said, this is my Son, whom I love. With Him, I am well pleased. You and I, we are so, we are so, so very hungry for words like that. Words of approval like that. With Him, with her, I am well pleased. I am satisfied. I am delighted in them. You know, and so often we chase those words in our work. You know, that's how we'll know we matter. That's how we'll know we measure up. If we can perform and earn words like that. But the gospel says to you, you can never earn words like that. You cannot earn words like that. You can never do enough to earn words like that. You can never succeed enough to earn words like that. But the gospel says this at the same time. Those words... They are freely given to everyone who trusts in Jesus because he lived the life you could not live. He alone earned those words for you. And he died the death you should have died and took the punishment in your place. And now the gospel says that the God of heaven and earth, he beams in delight over you. This is my son. This is my daughter. With him or with her, I am well pleased and satisfied and delighted. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus, he's the one master who really did become a servant for you. He is the one master who can set you free. He is the one master who came to start a revolution and change everything about your life from the inside out, with the grace of the gospel. Let's pray together. Our merciful and heavenly Father, we thank you that we are here today. We thank you that we are here today by divine appointment to sit beneath your word and to hear you speak to us. Father, allow us to grasp how deep And high. how wide is your love for us in Jesus? Help us by your Spirit to comprehend in our experience your deep love for us in Jesus. Father, I pray that we would see that the Gospel, it comes and it sets us free sets us free and gives us a new and deeper joy but it also sets us free that we might submit to one another out of reverence out of fear, out of love for Jesus and so Father we pray that your gospel would be brought to bear in our families that it would change the way we relate to our parents, that it would change the way we parent those you have placed under our care. Father, we pray that it would be brought to bear in the place we work. Father, so many of us just think about our jobs as if they were just that, just jobs and not callings, and we become bored with them. Father, we pray that you would allow us to see that they are a calling from you, a calling to serve you. Father, we pray that we would, in the workplace, that your gospel would change us in the way we treat one another that we would treat one another as people, as people who matter, as people that need to be treated with dignity and respect. Father, bring this transformation because of what we have in the gospel, a father who loves us, who will never leave us and never forsake us, a master who came and died to set us free.